Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Bridget Gomez, Director of Latino Leadership and Engagement at Planned Parenthood Federation of America. We'll talk about her unique position and why reproductive rights are important to the Latinx and queer community. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Save the date, familia. Unidos U.S., formerly the National Council of La Raza, invites you to its Changemakers Summit in Washington, D.C., taking place March 25th through the 27th. Unidos U.S. will bring aspiring activists and community leaders together for two days to learn and practice advocacy skills, followed up with a Capitol Hill visit to meet with members of Congress. For more information about this event, visit www.changemakerssummit2019.com. That's changemakerssummit2019.com. And here's your weekly news update. The 2020 presidential election is more than 600 days away, but one party is already working overtime to disqualify voters before that oh-so-important election. Texas, which has a long history of diluting the strength of minority voters with extreme gerrymandering, managed to go even further by targeting Latinx voters. On January 25th, The Texas Secretary of State's office declared that 95,000 non-U.S. citizens had a voter registration record. The state asked voter registrars in each county to send those voters a letter demanding that they provide proof of citizenship within 30 days. These lists of names came from the Department of Public Safety, an agency that doesn't even track if these people have become naturalized citizens at any point. ACLU quickly sued Texas to halt this practice of harassing voters and purging any voters from its roles, saying that the state knew this list was flawed from the beginning, but ran with it anyway. Rather than contacting voters as the state ordered, county voter registrars took it upon themselves to double-check their lists and discovered errors. So why would a state government office whose mission is to increase voter participation issue such a deeply flawed list that may remove actual voters. The 2018 voter Texas turnout may have something to do with it. Texas went from being deep red to increasingly purple, flipping some Republican House seats and coming close to unseating Senator Ted Cruz with the immensely popular Beto O'Rourke. Texas is taking a page from the state of Georgia, which also has been trending purple. Its last Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, benefited from purging voters to become the current governor. A month before his 2018 election, Kemp's office placed 53,000 voter registrations in pending status because the spellings of potential voters' names were not an exact match to other state records. Applications were being flagged for such discrepancies as hyphens, 70% of those affected were African-American. Prior to that purge, 
Stacey Abrams, an African-American leader who challenged Kemp for governor, ran a voter registration effort called the New Georgia Project, which signed up 200,000 potential new voters. Most of them never made it to the rolls because Kemp halted their registrations. Next, Kemp dropped voters from the rolls who voted infrequently in elections, just because. More than half a million were dropped a year before the election because of a use-it-or-lose-it policy Kemp orchestrated. While he was running for governor, and while he was leading an office whose mission is to promote voting. Brian Kemp was declared the victor with a margin of less than 55,000 votes last year. This is the new game plan. They will come after your vote to ensure they retain majorities. You can either allow it to happen or you can raise hell at your state capitol and demand that voting become more accessible. Heed the advice of civil rights icon and Georgia Congressman John Lewis, who spent his young activist life beaten and arrested more than 40 times so each and every one of us could register to vote. He said the following, your vote matters. If it didn't, why would so many people keep trying to take it away? On February 5th, President Donald Trump delivered his State of the Union, where he injected late-term abortions into his speech and called for federal anti-abortion legislation. America's most trusted provider for reproductive health care, Planned Parenthood, who's provided services for more than 100 years, clapped back almost immediately, stating that lies about later abortion not only spread dangerous misinformation, they villainize pregnant people and families who've had an abortion later in pregnancy, usually under difficult and tragic circumstances. Recognizing the strength of the Latinx voting bloc and the need to engage a community that is tragically underserved when it comes to reproductive care, Planned Parenthood has dedicated an office and staff members to outreach to Hispanic communities and its leaders. Leading those efforts is Bridget Gomez, Director of Latino Leadership and Engagement at the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. She joins us today to talk about removing the stigma and taboo when our familias talk about reproductive rights and how she navigates machismo and religious attitudes when talking about birth control and abortion. I want to welcome to the show Bridget Gomez, who works for Planned Parenthood, Nation, uh, the national organization. I'm so honored to have her here to talk about her new position that's been created in Planned Parenthood. Bridget, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Excited to be here. Thank you. So uh, tell us how you ended up with this super cool job. Now, it's a long title. Director of Latino Leadership and Engagement for Planned Parenthood. Yeah, I mean, one, I just want to say I... 
I really, I've been working in the Latino community for a long time. And one of the things that I've always been passionate about, both because of personal experiences and because of what I've seen. And so I was like, you know, I applied for the position. I was excited when I saw it. I applied for the position and I was excited to, to get the position. I think Planned Parenthood wants to continue to invest in Latino communities. They have invested. They want to continue. They know in their next hundred years, they need to do more. And especially when we think about communities that face the most barriers. And so I think I got lucky that in my background, if you would have met me 10 years ago, I was a math teacher. <laughs> and I but think both as a teachers teacher. Teachers are the greatest people to work with. Oh, They're amazing you. people, so I'm glad they inherited, <laughs> inherited yeah. you. And both like as a teacher, and then I worked as a community organizer. And I think in both those spaces, I've had the opportunity to know the importance of fighting for what we have or what we don't have. And I've seen so many barriers, I think, our communities, not only because... There's a lot of stigma and taboo when we come and we bring up the word sex, but in general, getting access to healthcare where Latinos are the most uninsured population. And we face many barriers as Latinas. We have you know, the highest rates of cervical cancer, which is something that's totally preventable. And so the opportunity to work for PP for me was like, I need to bring in to an organization that's a powerhouse that both does healthcare and also fights for the civil rights of our communities. Like I felt like we could do so much more in, in closing those barriers and closing those gaps for our communities, both as Latinos and as immigrants. So yes. I brought that in. I was like, I want to make sure PP, they, they've got resources and power to do more. And I want them to invest that in our communities. And especially in our communities, our undocumented populations that don't have access or cannot even apply for health care. Yeah, Planned Parenthood, so. well, back when I was growing up in high school, was everywhere. You, you saw the clinics in South Texas. I was I used to go visit one during the summers of my high school because we did teen theater groups so we could learn about the prevention of HIV and this was back in the late 80s when I was in high school and that clinic is no longer there because Planned Parenthood wants to be there but local laws and restrictions and conservative people keep pushing the clinics out or limiting their their ability to operate there so it's not because of a lack of wanting to be there, you know, that interest or, or wanting to provide these services. It's just become harder in some states. And it's really sad. And I'm glad that they have a position like yours that's going to start targeting these areas. Where did you start off? Um, where are you from originally? So I grew up, um, was born in New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, but I grew up most of my life in Arizona. So I grew up in Phoenix. Uh-huh. Uh, but both my parents are from Colombia, so they're immigrants from Colombia. Uh, and, you know, I think I grew up in a, com- like what you just described, I grew up in a community that's super conservative in Arizona. My high school, my, my sex education was abstinence only. So if I didn't get it at home, which I didn't, my parents never talked about sex, and I didn't get it in school, like I never got it. And I think that's part of what drew me is saying, like, this isn't right, and it is not okay to make this something that's totally natural and normal to make you feel shameful or to make you feel bad or to make you feel uncomfortable because you don't know. Yes. So... so- why are reproductive rights a Latinx issue and a queer issue as well? That's a great question. And the reality is that everything that, when we think about healthcare and when we think about the biggest impacts, reproductive healthcare is something that is a part of that. And for Latino communities, it is we don't have the same access. We have so many more barriers. Not only is it a barrier of getting of access to care, it's the barriers of having the education. It's the barriers sometimes of language or transportation. There's a mix of barriers, but Latinos are at the forefront of that. And I will say that, you know, phobia, xenophobia, transphobia, you know, homophobia, all of that just add more barriers to us having access to care and us feeling comfortable with the access to care 
or even high quality care and medical discrimination. And that's been history for a very long time. That's like yes. nothing new, right? Like this has been years of discrimination to our communities and there's no difference when it comes to healthcare. And we saw that, right? We saw that in the ACA. We saw that in our communities. I think that there's, ACA has done amazing work for our Latino communities, but for, I say that for our undocumented folks. Um, and I think under this administration, we continue to see more attacks on our communities. And those are attacks that are being done. I mean, a lot of them, these are racial attacks. So when you think about everything that's happening and the removing of access to health care, like what we're seeing right now, it's yes. targeted to our communities who are most impacted. Um, and I can go deeper, too, when we talk yeah. about some of that <laughs> later. But to, add, to answer that, I think that like when we think about why it's our, you know, why this impacts us is because we face the most barriers. We have some of the highest, you know, like when we think about cervical cancer, something that's totally preventable. But yeah, Latinas have the highest rates. And it's not because we're more prone to it. It's because we often don't get checked till it's too late because either access to care money it costs money to get care exactly and it also means sometimes just, the, just knowing to go the awareness of it no one's mm -hmm. talking about it no one yeah mm -hmm. uh, a recent study by the national latina institute for reproductive health showed that 44 percent of latinas struggling to uh struggle to get access to birth control how is planned parenthood helping to remedy the situation that's a good. Um, we, for a long time, have invested in two programs. One is called our Promotores de Salud program. They're our bilingual health educators. And the other program is our ICE organizers and fellows. And really, both of these programs, and in addition to that, we, you know, these programs were designed to make sure that we're bringing care to, we're meeting folks where they're at. So we're not looking, you know, we're not just waiting for people to come to our health centers. We know that part of that work means that we have to go into the community, invest in people who are known people in their community that know their community best to bring the education and the resources and awareness to them. And so promotores de raiz, like I said, they're the educators and the raiz side, um, we really focus on bringing more Latinx folks to become activists to fight for the reproductive health and rights. And those are the best yeah. people to represent you, trusted mm -hmm. validators in the community that could take your message and to their neighbors mm -hmm. and be that trusted voice. Yeah, because in our communities, it's by word of mouth. In our communities, trust people that we know, our family, our friends. And so that's how we saw it too. It's like we need to invest in our people to be the best messengers to talk about why it's important and how we fight for it. Um, and in addition to that, it's like, you know, partnering with Latino trusted organizations who've been you know, doing work in Latino communities and fighting for the civil rights of communities for a long time. It's joining their events, going to where there's already trust built and bringing that to them. So that's, I mean, part of what we're doing, going to the healthcare, you know, healthcare fairs in those communities. So how successful have you been, well, navigating Latinx communities that tend to have a lot of strict religious dogma, lingering machismo and parents who can't bring themselves to have that important talk to their teenagers about sexual health and std prevention um so right last part that you just shared people don't feel comfortable but people feel very comfortable in making sure sex ed is in their schools yeah and so that's something that we actually isn't work that in weird really, yeah people people don't dynamic. want to talk about it but they want others to help them talk about it because they don't feel comfortable yeah my, i grew up in a household where my mom she was a forward-thinking mom because of the way I was expressing myself as a kid. And so, and she helped me along. She didn't tell me not to do things. But when it came to the sex talk, she waited all the way till you know, I was 17 years old. And by then, Cindy Gonzalez, my friend, had already clued me in on everything I needed to know about sex <laughs> when I was 14. It, I mean, I got... 
when she sat me down, it was kind of embarrassing because she was like, I'm like, Mom, what are you talking about? What do you want to talk about? Why are you sweating? Why are you nervous? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, she's trying to give me the sex talk. I'm like, Mom, it's okay. You're like four years too late. I already know. I already know the details. <laughs> and the, the, what you described, most times if we don't talk as like parents or as we don't talk to our kids, they're going to learn it somewhere else. Exactly. And so we are, you know, parents are, and I say it, I should say, I'm not a parent yet, but are the yeah. best messengers to really give that information. And it, because we often didn't experience it and it wasn't comfortable for us or we never, like my parents never talked to me about it. In fact, I walked in on my parents when I was younger and we never talked about it. Like, <laughs> that's not normal. That's not normal. Right? And yeah. so you come with thinking that like it's wrong and it's shameful and and also you don't even know what you should be doing. And so that means you could be doing things that are both wrong and dangerous for yourself and not using protection and whatnot. So I think that's a, the biggest thing, one of those areas of like how do you, is it's really, I do believe sex education has has been opened avenues and doors for us mm -hmm. both um people who are like unsure about it and uncomfortable when we actually have talked about sex ed um and we have brought it into the school so we've tried to make sure more school districts open it up and we have like peer educators students helping educate other students and these programs that has really opened doors for people to feel much more comfortable and say i actually believe in the work that you all do at Planned Parenthood because access and prevention and education are our biggest bulk of our work and that's how we brought in people and even religious people in fact it's been beautiful to see pastors and other folks that I've met tell me you know what I do believe that prevention and sex education are important and I believe in your work and that's the bulk work of actually what Planned Parenthood does it's like a misconception what is Planned Parenthood but that is our bulk of our work is our preventative health care and education it's so. important um I asked my mom about her situation uh, uh, when she was growing up. And I think I, I was expecting because she grew up in the 60s. Well, you know, at the early part of the 60s. And when I asked her when the whole thing about Sarah, well, no, Sandra, sorry, Sandra in 2012, what's her last name? Oh, my God. She got tore up by the conservative media. And it kind of like rallied folks around Planned Parenthood and the women's vote when they attacked Sandra. And I asked her about the pill, about having access to the pill. Did some nurse back in her day tell her about it? And she found out by her mom. My grandmother told my mother, when you get married, use this. That way your family won't grow too much. And in other words, you'll be able to plan your family. My grandmother spent 20 years of her life either pregnant or raising an infant, seven children. And it was just like, and two that were unfortunately miscarried. But it's almost like she gave that knowledge to my mom. And you would think, okay, this is like back in the 60s. Wasn't this like so super taboo conservative? But it was being talked about then. And it's just really sad how it's the it's not the same anymore. It's like it's it's being shamed, you know? People are being mm -hmm. slut-shamed yeah. for, for using these um, contraceptives, contraceptives. And reality is that, like, contraceptives are... Sometimes people feel like people of faith don't believe in them. Majority people of faith, I'm a person of faith myself, yeah. actually do believe in contraceptives and believe that we should have the right to use them. And that. so I feel like sometimes we have all these beliefs of, like, both from the faith side and just conservative side saying that people don't believe in them or that they're wrong but most people all believe in them and they think that people should have access to them and in fact that people think that they should be free and they should not cost you a lot there shouldn't be a barrier to receiving this to actually have the access to control your future and your destiny to be able to decide when or if you want to have children and how many right and i think that is that is like the 
the notion, and I think that's at the heart of all this, is like reproductive health gives you that bodily autonomy to control your destiny and your futures, and nobody else should decide that for you. And I think now where we're at to a point today, I think my mom will tell me stories. In fact, now that I joined Planned Parenthood, my mom and I talk about sex, which was like, didn't happen before, (laughs) but when she knew I worked here, then she did. And um, and she feels more comfortable to talk about it now. and, And, you know, Back in the day, the you know the access even to information was so limited. My mom would describe to me even the options she had, and as an immigrant herself coming here, where she can go to a doctor, because my grandmother too, she had twelve children, and two had also didn't make it. Yeah. And I think that is you know the stories. And if, when I worked on working for immigrant rights, all of the a lot of the immigrant populations and a lot of families I met, those were the challenges the access to get the care and also the access to feel comfortable to get the care because yeah. to talk about it or you know even the machismo that exists in our communities that too has been a barrier of like how do i say i want this or how do i say like hey i don't want to have any more children and to be able to control that decision yes now fast forward to 2018 when we had those midterms that changed the conversation the american public saw the Latino community flex its muscle at the ballot box and saw more Latino candidates elected to Congress. We got like 40 plus Latinos. Uh, How is Planned Parenthood tapping into this new emerging voting block and our new elected officials? So we're, I should say, since 2016, when we have this new administration that Mm -hmm. has been doing nothing but attacking us, we have seen a surplus of people, people of color, young folks coming into Planned Parenthood, both as like volunteer supporters and donors. We've had a lot of small small dollar uh, dollar donations come in from folks because they knew at this point what's at stake. There is so much on the line, not only to, you know, every single attack, you name it, but even things like birth control. This administration is trying to take in a way the right for an employer to choose or choose whether or not they want to keep birth control access as something that is, you know, a, a part of your health care plan. And so I think that has, has been like the root of driving people to understand my choices and my access are being changed and altered because this administration chooses to make the decisions on behalf of women and behalf of other other you know other people to have access to care and i think that has grown our support and so you know planned parenthood in addition to having 600 health centers and doing providing healthcare services we have a strong arm that does advocacy work and that came up years ago because we knew that the attacks to control you know our destinies and our future you know the the you know women are the largest voting block like we have a lot of power but to control our power it's like let's control their access to to what they really want and so i think that is where we Planned parenthood for many years has had an advocacy side that fights to ensure that we elect people who are going to fight for access to health care for all and a part of that is also making sure we endorse folks that will support you know and have strong candidates that are actually really a care lot about of these issues. folks have won and a lot of our folks <laughs> have won. i'll tell you you know 11 folks and this is not just like not like federal but mm. also local 11 were former staff employees of planned parenthood wow. and seven of those 11 are latinas wow congratulations uh some of the harshest abortion laws out there are found in states where there's large Latino populations. What message do you have to send to those Latino voters in communities affected by laws, you know, like requiring 24-hour waiting periods for abortions, uh, requiring patients to get sonograms, the, what they call them, the heartbeat laws, or um, banning abortions after 20, after 20 weeks of pregnancy? I would say that Latinx voters you have a power with your vote and you have a voice 
And we, the people who make these decisions that are horrible, who actually don't understand what it's like to be pregnant and don't understand what it's like to not have access to healthcare and don't know the, don't face the barriers that many of our communities face, are making this, this, these decisions for us. And that's not right. And the only way to really block that is to make sure that we don't allow them to get into office. And so with your power of your vote and the power of your voice, you need to go out there and not only vote, but share your story and educate others about who is, you know, who are these candidates and what do they really stand for? Because that's where we can change the, you know, the the direction of where our future is going. And that is, that's the wave that we just saw was that people came out. And local elections are important. Oh, local elections are important because federally they may do a tax, but locally we can stop them from happening. And so, so that's from the courthouse yeah. to the White House. From the courthouse to the White House. See where your yes. candidate stands. Uh, lastly, what? And I'll also uh, add: yes, the courthouse are like the last line of defense. And I think that's something that right now we never. I, I feel like maybe uh, as a community we haven't captured how much power a president can have in choosing like our lower circuits mm-hmm. and not just our Supreme Court, but all levels. And that really means we need to make sure we have strong people going into those courthouse because if they put a horrible law, you know, it's le- it's like the litigation fighting against this Checks law and getting balances. into the courts. Yeah. So we need to have people in the courts yeah. who will. Right now he's already appointed like 40 federal judges, including two that sit on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And later on this year, we'll find out if any of those laws, the challenges to Roe v. Wade, are going to stick for the first time in a generation. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's really sad that we it's the, what we're waiting to see how these um, cases that are making their way to the Supreme Court how it's going to sway. That's right. And it's sad that we're in this situation. Uh, so how what are the different ways that Latinos can do can do today to support Planned Parenthood's mission? So I think the biggest thing that I'll say is in our community, like we said earlier, it is it is talking to folks and it's by word of mouth. And I think the biggest thing that I'd ask folks to do is to share your stories. Like you need to talk about repro. You need to talk about what that means is like the first time you even got your period, right? Like that starts a conversation. The first time that you actually talked about sex, the uncomfortableness you had and the realities of how we make it more comfortable and how we understand that it is normal will be the only way we can remove stigma and taboo in our communities when it comes to sex. And small things, like if you are a parent and you are unsure of how you talk about this topic, because reality is that this conversation about sex starts even when they're babies. Now, it doesn't mean you start talking about like what intercourse yeah. is and everything, but there's age-appropriate information that you can begin, and that is how you make sure that this next generation of folks makes sex and this topic more comfortable and normal, um, and where we begin to love ourselves and our bodies and understand that's natural and we should. Use correct so. terminology. Penis, vagina, instead of That's hoo-hoo right. and hoo-ha. And you actually have a book in front of you. I do. Talk about it. Um, so there's this amazing book. Um, we both have it in English and in Spanish and a lot of resources online. So whenever you don't feel comfortable, Planned Parenthood actually has a lot of resources online for people to learn about it. And then you can educate others. That includes we have a text chat program where you can actually text questions about, you know, any questions you have about sex, about reproductive health care. And then a person, a, a, you know, a, a uh, what is it I want to say a healthcare expert will actually respond to you and answer the questions and we're now moving that to be in Spanish as well so coming out soon so it'll be multiple languages but the book I have in front of me um, says no hay mejor lugar como el hogar and basically it's just like um, sex education for families and it really talks about what you can do when your child is a baby and ask the, you know a child is like two years old or three years old and they ask the question. question they have the questions world. and if we ignore it then we're adding the shame and stigma to it and so it's 
how we answer them and being truthful and honest in them. And when you don't know what to say, well, this book, and the reason I have this book is because my sister just had a baby and mm-hmm. she doesn't really know what to say. <laughs> and I want to make sure my sister doesn't ask Sigma and Taboo because my parents never talked to us about it. And I yeah. worry that she doesn't really know how to talk about it. So yeah. it's a book I'm actually going to be sending to my sister. Um, so And uh, my sister's baby um, is also, uh, her husband is Costa Rican. And so, and they're, they're people of faith. They're very faithful. And I want to make sure she feels comfortable and knows how to. And also, it's how we talk about small things of like even gender identity and other issues. I actually yes. really appreciate the book that Planned Parenthood put together because it talks about these issues and it starts from a young age. And so I loved, I, I love the book. Um, but also, I think um, there is, that is how we can really change the next generation is to ensure that we provide them the right information and make them feel comfortable in what should be comfortable and normal. Um, but the other place I'll say too is I think. I think that we, as a community, have to know that we have to fight for each other. And when we see horrible things happen, we know that one attack impacts all other attacks. And so when we think about we, when we're fighting for immigrant rights, fighting for immigrant rights is reproductive rights. Because access to health care, other areas, economic justice, they, they impact your access to your health care and to your reproductive rights. And so I think they're all connected. And luckily, we do live intersectionalized. Like, our, I can't separate me being a daughter of immigrants from me being a Latina, from me being like, you know, I also grew up low income. All of that stuff impacted my access yes. to education, my access to healthcare, my access to many things. And so, you know, I think that is understanding that I think is really important for us to show up and to speak out. So. So where can they get this book and, and oh. more information? Do you have uh, a website? So we do. Planned Parenthood, uh, just www.plannedparenthood.org. That is where you'll find a source of information. And if you want it in Spanish, it's just slash Espanol. And also, if you go to the, the regular website, there'll be a, a link over where everything else translates into Spanish too, or I should say transcreated into Spanish. Um, a lot of our content are both, you'll find games and resources for kids to also play. You'll find just information about like things like cervical cancer or different types of birth control. You may not know what type is right for you, but know your options because oftentimes you only think of the pill. And so I think you'll find a ton of resources there. And also for those who really want to do more and fight for reproductive rights, there's also access to know what are the latest attacks that are happening to us federally and locally and what can we do to fight back against these attacks like Title 10 that's happening right now. And for people that want healthcare access is there a clinic locator oh yeah yeah so when you go to plannedparenthood.org you will see one of the first things that pops up is you can put in your zip code and you can find out what health center is closest to you and you can always call the number two there's a you can call the phone number you can go online and make your appointment and if you're unsure i think whether your insurance takes you know planned parenthood accepts it or not you should know that planned parenthood is a place that you can go to regardless of health care that means whether you have insurance or not whether you're documented or undocumented, you know, Planned Parenthood is there for all folks. And it's actually the number one place people go to because they feel most comfortable. So especially as like, if you're like, if you identify as LGBTQ, Planned Parenthood has been actually one of the centers that, you know, even our staff, we have many staff that are LGBTQ because Planned Parenthood was there for them where they felt most comfortable to go to. And that's also why they decided to work for Planned Parenthood because they've been there for them when they needed them most. A safe place. And that is, so I'm excited to know that we've been that safe place um, for education, for information. So if like you just want to know stuff, you can stop by a health center and ask questions. If you want the healthcare services, you can get there for your STD, um, STI testing and treatment, HIV testing and treatment, your annual screenings, that's breast cancer, cervical cancer, um, or just sex education. Well, thank you so much, Bridget, for all the work that you're doing. And I want to wish you the best of luck. You've been uh, entrusted with a very important position 
and I hope that you kick ass in it. <laughs> Thank you. I, well, I appreciate your time for me being on here. I appreciate the support to talk about these topics because that's what we need. And I hope to do my very best, but there is a crew of folks and volunteer leaders on the ground who will help us get to that next level and making sure our communities get the care they need. Thank you so much, Virginia. Thank you.